We need to know Jesus Christ, capture an understanding of what he has to offer the world, and then go out and share his extraordinary story with other people. Form ourselves in order to form others with what Jesus Christ literally put us in charge of doing. Tom Hoops is the host of The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. He is the Vice President of College Relations and Writer-in-Residence at Benedictine College. He's a former reporter in Washington, D.C., and he spent 10 years as executive editor of the National Catholic Register and Faith and Family magazine. Listen in as we discuss how to understand our lives in light of Jesus, evangelization in the modern world, and the necessity of faith in a culture like our own. Benedictine College is transforming culture in America, one conversation at a time. From our studios in Atchison, Kansas, these are the Benedictine Dialogues. All right, Tom, welcome to the Benedictine Dialogues. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so during these conversations, we've been talking a lot about transforming culture in America. And um, one of the great things that you've been accomplishing here on, on campus is a podcast called The Extraordinary Story. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, you just launched your third season of it, and uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what the genesis of that was, where did it come from, um, and kind of where that desire came from to, to start that show. Yeah, it's really a lifelong dream, or at least an adulthood-long dream of mine to, uh, to, to go in deep and look at the life of Christ. And I think what happened in my case, uh, biographically a little bit here, is when I was a child, I kind of lost faith in Jesus. I think around age 10, as most people we're told do, uh, it just he wasn't doing the sorts of things I was expecting him to do in my life, and nobody was there to explain why I should be expecting something different or what was going on. And so I just kind of lost faith. I stopped going to mass. I refused to be confirmed in high school. Uh, I used to park my car at mass so that if my mom drove by, uh, she'd see the car there, but I'd hide in the back and, and, and read during mass. So I had lost my faith. By a strange set of circumstances, which I won't go into here, I ended up at a college, which was a great books college, which showed, first of all, how a college can transform culture in America. Because this great books program, which was founded by Father Fessio, who founded the Ignatius Press, at one point it had produced the editors of National Catholic Register, Faith and Family Magazine, Our Sunday Visitor, Catholic World Report. So all these sort of you know, people who had become leaders in the Catholic world came from this one program. But at any rate, I was introduced to the faith of this program and what I was first introduced to was the community life uh, of faithful people. And I really took to this community that was very welcoming and, opening, and open and loving. But I never quite got the whole Jesus Christ part of it until a year I spent abroad actually sharing a room with the guy who would go on to be the translator of Pope Benedict's book about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. So he was, he's now considered you know, a world-class theologian. And he was my roommate. Uh, and I kind of discovered my faith there through a, a series of, uh, of events that were really extraordinary. But I'll never forget the experience of suddenly realizing, wait, what if God actually did become man? No longer thinking of it as a story or a kind of a, a framework for a religious belief or 
a kind of a nice backdrop to cool things the church is doing in mankind and in history. But actually thinking, wait a second, suddenly seeing a real reality there. What if God, through whom everything was created, you know, God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, became a human being for real? And the consequences of that, once you take it seriously for the first time, are enormous. It means something for everything. It means something for science. It means something for art. It means something in your daily life. It means something in your relationships. And, and, and I just started to be fascinated by this question and try to unpack it a little bit. And I, what I did is I just read like gangbusters through several Life of Christ books. That became a genre that I discovered and that I really took to, which are books that go incident by incident through the life of Jesus Christ uh, and uh, just kind of describe what it was about. There's versions of it that are more like people who've been to the Holy Land talk about, and this is what he saw, and this is what the terrain is like. Uh, people who are very theological, like Romano Gordini, talk about how this is the implications of it for philosophy. There's uh, people who are apologetics oriented who say this is why it jibes with what we think about other issues now in our modern day. I was really taken by Fulton Sheen's, which was kind of a combination of all of them and kind of a more inspirational take. Uh, but I must say, looking back on it 30 years later, I no longer have the same relationship with Fulton Sheens that I, that I did then. But I became a sort of a connoisseur would be putting it kind of the wrong way, but I became a devotee of this genre. And then, well, okay, so let's fast forward in my biography a little bit. I uh, came out of college. I went to work on Capitol Hill. I went from there into journalism and I went from journalism to there and there into journalism. And I was able to become editor of the National Catholic Register newspaper, where uh, it was just an astonishing vantage point to look at how grace functions in the world and how God's continuing story manifests itself, incarnates itself in real events. So we had a great uh, editor-in-chief who gave us this sort of watchword for what our work was going to be like. And that was watching how Jesus Christ's story is unfolding in the events of our time. So I think even though we were by no means the biggest circulation publication in America, I think that's the kind of publication that becomes one of the most significant publications in America because we're the only one telling the true story. So the true story is that Jesus Christ is alive and well and his life is still having implications here on earth. But through a series of circumstances that I go into in the first episode of the podcast, my faith hit a crisis point. And I started to wonder, who is this God who allows people to suffer? Who is this God who allows things like the sex abuse crisis to happen? Who is this God who has this church that does so many great things, but also is so weak and fallible and hurt and broken? Uh, and that caused a kind of a rebooting of uh, me asking all these hard questions about faith. So basically for the last 15 years, I've been doing work as a journalist where I do kind of Sunday meditation pieces. 
And I've used that as a way to research incident by incident, Sunday by Sunday, what's happening in Jesus Christ's life. And all the time in the back of my mind, I had this idea for the extraordinary story of someday telling the story of Jesus Christ's life and how it has implications in every aspect of our lives, in our personal identity, who we are, why we are who we are, and in the modern crises of faith that have to do with evolution and neuroscience and all of these things. And I must say, coming here to Benedictine College has been a huge grace in my personal journey as I kind of try to unfold the extraordinary story. You know, of those 15 years that I've been doing this, most of them have been spent here at Benedictine College. And I have a series of mini crises of the faith that I have, um, that I've undergone, where suddenly I'll realize, wait, there was no writing until, like very recently, if you looked at the whole history of the world, uh, of, of mankind on the world, you know, it saw it as a calendar where January 1 was first Homo sapiens. Writing wouldn't come around until late fall, winter. So how is it that we have a faith where God reaches us through writing, through Ten Commandments, and that's this all-important thing. Why would God do that? Uh, also, questions about how human humanity developed into civilizations, and we did we become agricultural beings who then later found enough time to ask religious questions, and why that doesn't jive with the Adam and Eve story in the right way. So I, what I do when I have these little mini faith crises is I'll go park myself in a theologian or philosopher's office and say, yeah, do you have a second? Yeah. And end up taking way more than a second. So I don't know if they dread seeing me darken their doorway, but uh, I think they enjoy talking about these sorts of things. But I'll go in and I'll say, okay, I don't get it. Grace is supposed to transform us as human beings. And yet, I know lots of people who have been baptized who haven't become new Christs. I know I was baptized and I didn't become a saint. Mm -hmm. I know that you have to kind of cooperate with your baptism. How is it different from just doing it on yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, asking these hard questions sure. that they have answers to, but not easy answers to. Uh, and going through these things eventually bore fruit in the work I was doing, looking at each Sunday, and now is bearing fruit with the extraordinary story. That's a really interesting route to kind of think about the life of Christ. You know, when Thomas Aquinas talks about being uh, not necessarily skeptical, but, um, and certainly not curious, because he didn't see that as a good thing either, but, but studious in regard to asking these questions along the way that don't seem to fully make sense, but knowing that there is a truth at the end, whereas a lot of our skepticism that we have today, it's just skeptic, 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 without any kind of like, what's the end logos we're, we're aiming at here? Um, so I, I love how in, in each one of your episodes, and thinking more recently, the, the first episode of your, your third season on the Transfiguration, you bring in all 
all these great other works to kind of help explain it psychologically, biblically, theologically, philosophically. You've got, you know, C.S. Lewis, Aristotle, Plato, all of that, which goes back to the great books formation, it sounds like, that you, that you had. Maybe share a little bit about your process of when you read these stories of the life of Christ, what is your process of thinking through that? Sure, yeah. First of all, I love how I sound really, really smart in these, <laughs> um, but I'm not really, really smart. What I am is a guy who has collected a bunch of journalism that I've done over the years about each of these topics. Some of them are new that I'm approaching with the podcast. Some of them I've done a lot of work around. I've also, I'm also a guy who parks myself in the offices of really some outstanding like world-class thinkers on just these issues who are breaking new ground, I think, in a couple of cases. I think what Jim Madden is doing in philosophy and what Matt Ramage is doing in theology are really pioneering in fields of faith and science and brain science. So I'm also, I have that going for me too. Uh, and I also, like you say, with the Great Books program, simultaneously we're homeschooling our children, so I'm reading stuff. And what I do is if I'm reading about, um, if I'm reading White Fang for Jack London with one of my kids, I'll realize, oh my gosh, he comes to an awakening in a cave and it, Jack London describes the way he enters the world outside the cave. And that's so much like Plato's cave. And oh my gosh, Jesus says, I am the light. And then he transfigures himself in the darkness. And I, these connections are just coming up because I happen to be in the right place at the right time, telling this story at the right time. Uh, I love that I sound smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I love that ultimately the primary focus is who is Jesus, right? That, that's the question. And if we're talking about transforming culture, that's the question is who is Jesus, right? right? Yeah, so you are not gonna transform culture in America. I'm not gonna transform culture in America. As much as I love him and uh, people who know me know I really do, uh, I really admire him. Steve Minnis, even the great president of Benedictine College is not going to uh, uh, transform culture in America. Jesus Christ is the only one who's going to transform culture in America. He has come to us. He's become man, God himself become man, and given us remarkable answers to questions that we didn't even have at the time that he was answering them. And these questions have been just sort of being unpacked for ages. And right now, the church has a remarkable social teaching that all starts from principles that Jesus Christ brought us. We have a remarkable take on uh, biology and uh, bioethics that came from what Jesus Christ had to say. We have remarkable teachings on anything you can name it. And Jesus Christ's answer to the fact that the church needs these questions was to say, I'm gonna put you, Jared Zimmer, in your neighborhood among people who need to hear about me. That's my answer. You're my answer, not because you have the answers, but because I do. And I'm powering you to go tell those people. He did the same thing for Tom Hoops putting me on where I live, on the block I live, with the people I live with, with the listeners I have, with the students I have, and saying, I want you to tell the people in your area about Jesus Christ. This is the great insight of Vatican II. I like to think in terms of story, and there's uh, kind of three acts in most stories. The first act, 
the hero triumphs. The second act, there's a crisis. And the third act, the hero remembers something that they forgot they have. And they grab that thing and take hold of it again. And then they conquer by using that thing. Vatican II was that moment where the church said, okay, we conquered, we've hit a crisis with the enlightenment. And now what is the thing that we've had all along that we've never used properly or to the full or to the full extent that we can. And that thing is the laity, mm -hmm. right? Let's start teaching our laity to be the shock troops, as I think the catechism literally calls us, the front lines of this evangelization. Let's get people to enter into conversation with people about Jesus Christ, as Pope Francis points out in his uh, Joy of the Gospel, wherever they are, in their workplaces, in their social places. He says even inviting people to pray with them, mm -hmm. right? In order to get the word of Jesus Christ out into the world, he gave us the lay people. He gave us Vatican II to reawaken the lay people, which means that it suddenly becomes key that you, Jared, and I, Tom, and whoever else is inspired to, to listen to this thing, we need to know Jesus Christ, capture an understanding of what he has to offer the world, the kinds of answers he has to specific questions that the world has, First of all, the kind of answers he has to the, the, the issues in our lives, because once we see him answer those, we're just excited to see him help more and more people in the same way. And then go out and share his extraordinary story with other people. Form ourselves in order to form others with what Jesus Christ literally put us in charge of doing. What is the relationship between faith and reason in a post-truth era like our own? Benedictine College is hosting a conference celebrating the 25th anniversary of the promulgation of Fides et Ratio, the famous encyclical by St. John Paul II on the relationship between faith and reason. We'll be hosting several guest lecturers, including Dr. Larry Chapp, Dr. Teresa Farnham, and Bishop William Johnson. We'll also be offering a faculty panel with experts on theology, philosophy, and science. Be sure to visit media.benedictine.edu to join us online or in person. God bless, and we hope to see you there. I'd be interested to hear, you know, some of the um, stories that have really stuck out to you, you know, ones maybe that even shocked you uh, a little bit. Right. Well, maybe to answer that question, I have to talk about what I expected and then what I ended up with. What I expected, and I think that the podcast has done a decent job of this, but what I wanted to do was, I know that people are grappling with personal identity questions. I know students and children I've had to deal with are grasping with the question of who I am, what makes me who I am. And I remember, I think this was actually part of what drew me to fall away from Jesus Christ, was I remember being told, Jesus Christ is inside you, right? And I thought, well, what does that mean? No, he's not, right? It, he's not inside me. I, it, it, if he is inside me, then are you saying, basically, if what you're saying is true, then Jesus Christ is meaningless. Uh, and I never really understood what that meant. And it made me think, this all sounds like poetic language, not real language. So I asked theologians years later, okay, this is just poetic language, not real language. Jesus Christ inside you said, no, it's not. <laughs> it's a real thing. And they explained me what, to me what it means. And so I went on this whole crusade or this whole kind of effort to try to understand what it means and share it. So there's a lot about personal identity in the podcast. And that's what I thought I would get out of it. Uh, what I ended up getting out of it that I wasn't expecting was that 
whole stories that I'd never really looked at have just come alive for me in, in doing this podcast. Jesus's interaction with storms has become a huge thing for me. His, uh, his, his quieting of the storm and what that meant, what it means to have Jesus on your boat, but storms still come, what it uh, means for him to ask you to walk to him during the storm, not walk from the storm, but walk into it with him. Uh, that's been very powerful for me personally. And that sort of storm metaphor has been kind of showing up again and again in my personal life. I also, so this one I was expecting to have a profound encounter with, and it didn't disappoint. But I've been fascinated by a couple different stories in the gospel from when I first encountered the gospel. I think, I, I, I imagine everybody has this experience of when you first take Jesus seriously, looking through the gospels and suddenly the stories are saying things to you personally that they've never said before. For me, the woman with the hemorrhage, I know, I, we even decided not to call it the woman with the hemorrhage because it's such an odd kind of, you know, it's not something that you normally think of. But this woman who uh, had this form of bleeding that was causing her to be unclean in her society goes to meet Jesus and she faces a crowd with Jesus walking away. So I think her predicament is so much like the modern man's predicament. She has an existential wound. It's not just that she's got a physical ailment. She has something that puts her out of sorts with mankind, with God, with everything. She's, she's unwell and unclean at the same time. And we all feel unwell, disjointed, unclean. We feel like there's something wrong, something significant missing. And there's like this wound at the heart of us mm -hmm. that we want to somehow heal. And then what she's done is she's, is Mark, who's brilliant, gives this little quip that she spent all of her money with many physicians and yet not grown better, but only grown worse. Isn't, isn't that exactly what we've done? Mm -hmm. We've spent all of our resources, all of our emotional resources, all of our physical resources, trying to solve this wound, right? Trying to either cover it over with substances or to try to redirect our gaze to something, some form of escapism, whether it's video games, whether it's rock and roll, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all the typical things. Uh, we've tried to find the answers in art. We've tried to find the answers in song. We've tried to find the answers in self-help books. We've tried to find the answers in workaholism. We've tried to find the answers in like how to be a better worker books. Uh, and even the people who've been successful in all of these things don't, they, the wound is still there and they want to figure out some way to staunch the wound and to, and to heal from it. And what do they find? They find exactly what the woman with the hemorrhage found when she went to Jesus, he's walking away with a crowd of other people, right? He doesn't stop and smile and say, oh, thank you so much for seeking me out. Let me open myself to you, right? That's not our experience. Instead, it's the experience of a retreating figure who's got a crowd of other priorities who, who are surrounding him and who's headed to a place where you think is probably he probably better go fix that problem rather than my problem anyway. What does she do? She lunges at him. And this has been kind of the motif for my life and my approach to Jesus Christ. 
I know you're walking away. I know you've got something more important to do. I know that I've got stupid questions that everybody else seems to understand, but for whatever reason, I don't. I'm gonna freaking lunge at you and I'm gonna push through the crowd. I don't care who I make unclean. I don't care who I embarrass myself in front of. And I'm gonna grab at least the hem of your garment. And then what does Jesus do? He turns around and then once she's lunged, then he takes over and he addresses her. And then he becomes this, this person who is not a retreating figure, but who's putting all of his attention on you, helping you see who you are, helping you understand who, what your problem is, and helping you see what the answer to that wound finally is. That's been my modus operandi in my spiritual life. You know what? If you're not listening, if I've got a dry spell, whatever, I'm gonna lunch. Yeah because I'm gonna do what my model did and that's what works for me. And that's my modus operandi in trying to tell the story of Jesus Christ in the Extraordinary Story podcast. Yeah, I think uh, one question I, I would have if I was a listener and maybe somebody who is personally going through either a major or a mini crisis, what does that lunge look like? You know, what are, what are some of the things that, and, and sometimes it's, we think we have to go do these things, but a lot of times in a relationship with Christ, it's actually letting go of things, which is very difficult. What, what does that look like on a, on a practical level? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. And I think on the practical level, well, I can maybe only answer in what it meant for me on a practical level. What it meant for me on a practical level was at the beginning of my life, going to the Blessed Sacrament. I know he's really, truly there. He doesn't have to be exposed in a monstrance. The tabernacle is enough. The real presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament is as clear and as true as Jesus Christ asleep on the boat, Jesus Christ walking away in a crowd, and you go there and you ask questions, or you just sit and say, I'm here, I need to know what's going on, help me out. So go straight to the source. This is what the Blessed Mother does again and again. When his relatives are complaining about him, she says, okay, let's go talk to him, right? Uh, and that's what we have to do. Second thing, that my modus operandi was, was going to the Gospels. And the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the three synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of tell the story in one way. St. John tells it in a more theological way, but also an exciting way. Uh, go there and wake up. First thing you do, first thing I would do is I would open the Gospels. I would spend 15 minutes just reading one paragraph, rereading it, I would look at the verbs. Uh, I think I mentioned this in uh, one of our episodes. The verbs are key. <laughs> uh, when you look at the verb of what Jesus Christ did, you can see this is what he does with you. He stops, he points up to the tree, he turns around, he addresses you. These are the verbs that, the, the, these are the actions you can look at of Jesus Christ in your own life. So go to the Blessed Sacrament, go to the uh, Gospels, Go to the sacraments where he's truly present. If you have, uh, if you're Catholic, that's a huge channel of grace. You go and bear your soul in the confessional. Even if you're not 100% sure, um, tell the priest, admit it, don't hide it, but say, you know, I don't even know what I believe, but I believe that I can turn here and find something. So let me tell you where I'm at, right? Uh, those are the great sources, the great channels of grace, the great points of contact with Jesus Christ is his church, his sacraments, and his scriptures. 
Yeah, I can tell you that, that you know, a time in my life when I had a little bit of a, a mini crisis of faith, um, I jumped into particularly, it was recommended by a priest, the story of the man born blind. And he basically said, do it a novena. Just read the man born blind every day. And it's that whole feeling of, I'm blind, I'm shouting into, I can't even see what's out there, have no idea. And then Jesus comes along, speaks something into you. But then I love the use of spit and dirt and just kind of the griminess of it because like, yeah, the, the world itself is grimy. It's, it's got this grossness to it, but Christ redeems it through his own flesh and blood, through his own DNA, really. I mean, spitting in it and giving it to us. Um, so, yeah, for the listeners, I, you know, finding that story that, that really hits you or maybe was recommended. It's, it's a funny thing how sometimes God's grace works in random ways. You know, you said sometimes you're just in the right place, right time. <laughs> um, and so maybe there's, you know, a couple episodes that you might recommend. Uh, if you say, hey, these are episodes I would highly say, yeah, these are the ones to point to, you know, which would those be? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, we like to say that there's three different kinds of listeners that we have. One kind of starts at episode one and heads in order every week as they come out, they take a break, if we take a break till the end, uh, which is great. And I, there are some people like that and I really, really, really appreciate it. There are some who wanna do them in order, but they're not gonna listen every week. So they binge watch, I, a great conversation with a guy who binge watched, who binge listened to Tom Hoops on a road trip, yes. which I thought, oh my gosh, this is, my family avoids doing this and <laughs> you did this, so that's great. Uh, the third kind is kind of you cherry picking. I don't know if that sounds pejorative or not, but I'm I'm all for p- figuring out what episode you think is going to be helpful or or interesting to you and starting there. You know, the garrison demoniac, as much as I hate to say it, is is one that I think people have turned to apart from the others because I recount a personal story I had of uh, engagement with the demonic, and I think it also just because I had that experience has some very helpful, practical things to say about the demonic world. You know, one that kind of took me by surprise, your further, uh, your first question, but I think is also gonna be a good one, is uh, the one about the expelling the boy with a demon. It's right, it's the second episode of the third season. It's right after the transfiguration. And that one kind of took me by surprise because I hadn't really focused on that story much before, but I just found it full of, of relevance to where Catholics in my circle are today, where essentially they've, uh, they're, they've failed to help expel a boy with a demon, and now they're just arguing with the scribes mm. about the faith, presumably, as Jesus Christ comes on this scene and he gets fed up with the whole situation. That one was good because I think, and I'll, I won't spoil it, you'll hear kind of the take on it that I think is a true take on it. Then at the end, it kind of has a real grappling with the fact that we all have faith crises. Mm. Uh, and I know that there's uh, the, the church has taught about how you must not doubt, mm-hmm. but we talk about the difference between difficulties and doubts there. So when we're talking about faith crises, we're talking about difficulties we have. Mm-hmm. Situations where we say, I don't understand that, help me understand it, rather than saying, I don't understand that, therefore I don't believe it, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's great advice in there about being like the man born blind, and we're all the man born blind, right? We're all the person who, because of original sin, because our parents trace so much to their parents and on and on and on back to Adam and Eve, uh, we're born with this 
inability to see certain things that we have to be brought to bit by bit. Uh, and there I share my personal favorite prayer, my go-to prayer all the time. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, which is what the boy's father prays. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I do that all the time. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I hope in you, help me to trust you, help me to follow step by step into the dark room where you're leading me. Uh, Lord, I love you, but you and I both know that I'm not really good at that. Help me love you despite the suffering and setback that I face over and over again. Uh, and I think that that's exactly the attitude you need to be able to grow in the faith is an attitude of dependence on Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think too that, that that attitude of focus on him keeps us from, even though there are legitimate concerns about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the church sometimes, things like that, but the, the focus should always be him, right? Um, and living that out, it takes that daily reminder of going into his stories and applying it to your life and thinking through what how he thought of these things. Yeah, so this is actually another big reason that I'm doing the extraordinary story. Because I made myself exhausted for years of looking at political issues, economic issues, cultural issues, church issues, important issues that are really and truly you know, messed up in some circumstances and that I've, I truly admire politicians who have to deal with them, people who are business people who have to deal with economic issues people who are cardinals and others in the church who have to face real problems that do need to be addressed. But I suddenly realized I'm just exhausting myself trying to get to the bottom of all of these questions and constantly obsessing about what's the latest issue with a bishop's conference somewhere in the world or what's the latest issue with Marxism and how young people are being entranced by it or what's the latest issue with an economic problem and inflation and what's at the real root of it and why, how that's being ignored. And I was just exhausted. And I decided, you know what? I'm not denying that any of those things are important. Thank God we have uh, areas at Benedict College that are going in depth into those very issues and trying to train people to address them. But as for me, my job number one is to focus on Jesus Christ and share his stories with the people who I live with first and foremost, with my children, with my neighbors, with my uh, spouse, with my relatives, but then with whoever my particular set of talents and opportunities give me the ability to, with the Extraordinary Story podcast, with my journalism as a writer, uh, with my work as an administrator at Benedictine College. That is my circle of influence that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to try to in, insert Jesus Christ into those areas that I have control over. And the mentally exhausting problems of the world, are they are my problems, but they're outside my circle of influence. So they're going to be outside my circle of concern for the time being while I focus on what I can change. And that's fundamentally mostly me. And the way to change it is the one and only way to get to Jesus Christ, get to God made man who came in order to reconcile all things with the Father. Which is ultimately what we're talking about when we're talking about transforming culture, right? Of in, in your circle of influence, be an instrument of Christ's peace. 
Uh, I mean, we've already talked about this whole level of anxiety and stress that's out there. And you go on social media, it's very easy to find it, <laughs> you know, and let it become the weight on your back. Right? You're all of a sudden, you're Atlas holding up the whole problems of the world. But through Christ, we find hope, peace, calm, you know, these fruits of the Holy Spirit that, as you said, maybe not all of us have a global influence, and I pray that those that do do this as an instrument of peace, but oftentimes it just starts in our own backyard. It starts with our own children, our own wives, our own, you know, husbands and, and, and wives working together. Small communities that, that didn't grow out into other areas to, to bring that peace uh, as well. And I, I would think I would, or I would think maybe a desired outcome of, for your listeners is that piece, right, of, of coming to know Jesus a little bit more. But what, what are some of the outcomes if somebody wanted, really wanted to listen in and say, you know, this is what I hope you get out of this? Yeah, what do I hope people get out of the extraordinary story? Well, it is just that. It's to, first of all, develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's this whole debate about personal relationship with Jesus Christ versus sacramental relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. I think Catholics are both and people. I know uh, Pope Benedict agrees with me that, yeah, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and know who he is. And yeah, that is expressed in a sacramental way in the church, in a community with other people. So I think that's the first thing is to have, to know Jesus Christ to be a friend of Jesus Christ, to uh, quote what Pope Benedict said over and over again, be his friend. To be his friend means to know about him, like you're my friend, so I know some things about you. Talk with him, you're my friend, so we chat every once in a while. And then start to share the same likes and dislikes, right? Uh, and in your case, I don't think we'll ever share the same likes and music. <laughs> it's too big of a riff yeah, there. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> But there's, on the fundamental level, mm -hmm. sharing what we have in mind for others, for, for the world, for people, for listeners, for Atchison, Kansas, where we both live. Uh, well, with Jesus Christ, once you get on the same page as him, you start to develop the same likes and dislikes as him. And that'll take you by surprise sometimes, because sometimes they won't be in line with the group of friends you created when you were a political activist mm -hmm. of some kind. They'll be in line with some of them, not in line with others. Uh, so is it a personal transformation that happens just by being friends with Jesus and taking on his likes and his dislikes? And then that spills over into your community. Love thy neighbor is a favorite phrase both of us have. Help the real people in your community get to know Jesus Christ in whatever way you can. If you can help out at the parish, my wife and I look for opportunities all the time to do that. If you can help out your neighbor, if you can help out, you know, for many of us, it's just literally the people in your house, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? The children. I always make the joke that, um, you know, we're supposed to clothe the naked. And the real one opportunity you have to do that <laughs> is when you have infants <laughs> yeah. in your house. Because otherwise, I tell my confirmation students, stay away from naked people, right? <laughs> Maybe toss them something to cover up, but, but don't do the clothing yourself. Sure. Anyway, uh, so transform yourself, be friends with Jesus, try to gain other friends for him, and let the problems that, that arise take care of themselves. You'll find as you, the more you focus on what you can actually influence, the bigger the number of things you can actually influence will grow. So you focus on influencing just your own life. But pretty soon you're finding, oh, people 
you know, are getting something out of the fact that I've made this transformation in my life, I can share with them. Oh, and then I can share with people that I never even considered, you know, part of my friend group before. Oh, and then, you know, suddenly it just, it builds out from there. Uh, and it has the opposite effect of focusing on all the things you can't change. That makes you feel alone, depressed, anxious, whereas focusing on what you can makes you feel empowered, hopeful, and at peace. Yes, which is what I think what we're all seeking is that, that peace. Um, you know, and it also gets, gets to the, the theology or the teaching of the communion of saints that as we grow in grace, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, that spills out even in miraculous ways or in mystical ways that we may not fully understand. And sometimes I think in American culture, we, we have forgotten to think generationally that I'm going to do what I can for the generation I've got. And if that means the world doesn't change for another 300 years, well, at least I started something. You know, we're so focused on in the next two years, we need to fix all, all of this kind of stuff. Never going to happen. It's just, not, it's just not how it works. Um, and it seems to me like a, a good practice is to think of, I'm doing something now that may not truly affect everything for 150 years, but I got to do it and I have to do it now in, in my own small acts, acts of love with the, you know, Mother Teresa and Teresa right. Lassoux. Yeah, that's the extraordinary story right there. It starts with Blessed Mother, right? Mm -hmm. She sees an angel and then Jesus Christ is incarnate in the world. So it starts with this one individual who has a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, and Joseph is brought in and John the Baptist and Elizabeth are brought in even before his birth. And then the shepherds and wise uh, men at the birth. And then the uh, folks in the temple, Simeon and, uh, and Anna. And then it just ripples. It ripples. It starts with an individual. And what does Jesus do? Does he go out and create you know, structures of awesomeness that will change the world? No. He heals Peter's mother-in-law is the first thing he does, one of the first things he does. Uh, he provides wine at a wedding, right? It's these small things that have huge repercussions. Mm -hmm. And you see why this story is extraordinary. And let me take one brief moment here to give credit where it's due. Uh, Angelica Nelson, who was working at the college at the time and is no longer, came up with the story, the extraordinary story, mm -hmm. the, the, the title. And I think it's just amazing. It's an extraordinary title. Yeah. But you see he reaches 12 people, right? And then they get the Holy Spirit and they reach a bunch more. And you see this just incredible arithmetic of the growth of this way of Jesus Christ just growing way more than it should, generation after generation after generation. You see St. Benedict forming a small group of monks. He starts out, again, as a solitary figure, a hermit. People say, hey, we want to learn from you. It builds out. He sends them out into this dark ages time, bringing the light of faith. And the, the candle lights one candle after another, after another, after another, until it blows into a fire that rages across the whole world, such that now we have Christianity as the major religion in the world. Uh, so. What do we say? We said the extraordinary story is important. Yes. I think that's, I <laughs> exactly. think that's, the, that's, that's exactly. that is the extraordinary story, right? Yes, yes. And not to downplay our, our small acts, those little small acts of love that really are, you know, eternally <laughs> causing repercussions, right? So um, I guess finally, you know, where, where would you point people to who haven't, aren't current listeners and where they can go? 
catch up on the latest episode? Yeah, so you can always start out at our website, which is uh, the media and culture website at Benedictine. So you can Google it that way, or you can go to Benedictine College's website, click on media and culture, get there that way. You can also find it through Apple Podcasts, through Audible. Uh, I always listen to podcasts on Audible. I know not everybody does it that way. There's Spotify, I think we're available on. We're at all the places that you go for podcasts. Uh, check it out, listen. If you like it, give it a like and give it a review and all those good things that help us spread the extraordinary story to more and more people. Awesome. Thanks again. Great. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed the Benedictine Dialogues, a production of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. To catch all the latest and support our growing platform, visit media.benedictine.edu. And be sure to recommend this show to your friends and family. Help us to transform culture in America, one conversation at a time.